Guys, uh, let's open our Bibles to Acts 16. We have, we've been, we've been studying the subject of spiritual warfare. How's it going so far? How you guys feeling? Anyone in it? Anyone experiencing it? Um, is anyone thinking to themselves, why are we talking about this? Um, can't we just pretend like it's not real and just talk about like happy things? We could do that, we could, but it's hard to actually read through the scripture and not run into this stuff. Um, in fact, one of, my, one of my favorite verses where uh, the Bible talks quite explicitly about this idea of, of spiritual warfare and, and the battle that followers of Jesus are actually in, called to engage with is in Ephesians 6. Um, while you're still turning to Acts 16, I love how the Apostle Paul says it. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood like other people. We don't fight people. But we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the Bible over and over and over talks about this reality that we're not living in a merely material world. Like there's more to, to existence and, and being and reality than just what you can see or hear, feel, taste, etc. But there's this spiritual reality. Now I don't want to even suggest that it's like far off in space someplace. But it's a reality that is very much interwoven and connected with the life we're actually living here and now. And the Bible wants to open our eyes. Jesus wants to open our eyes so that we can perceive and understand, see what he sees, and thus fight the good fight. And take our stand and walk in the wake of his victory as he is establishing his kingdom, his good kingdom on earth as it has always existed in heaven. And it's a fight. It's a fight that we're, we're called to fight. Here's my question for tonight. How do you know when a, a struggle or a situation, some difficult thing or challenge in life is actually of some sort of like evil nature? How do you know when, when you're going through something in life and you're not just having a bad hair day, you don't just have a bit of gas, like you're actually experiencing something of the enemy. How do you know when like difficult things in life are actually spiritual warfare versus, look, it's just, just life. Okay, everyone has hard things happen to them and um, I reckon at some level, as we're living life, there's always this mixture of like just every day, real life, practical things, and then God moving, and then the devil moving, and this spiritual reality also at work amongst all of the other normal practical things of life. But how do you discern it? How do you, how do you keep from just going from one extreme to the other? How do we engage in spiritual warfare and do what the Apostle Paul just reminded us to do um, without obsessing over 
things like this, without calling everything a devil and every time something goes wrong, we blame it on the devil versus the other extreme, which would be to be oblivious and not think about it at all and just forget that in fact, the Bible speaks plainly about the reality that if we're gonna follow Jesus, then we are signing up for the fight of our lives. How do we do that? So Acts 16, this is a fantastic example of how we're gonna read about Paul and Silas. Okay, we just, we just read from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, um, the armor of God bit, but we're gonna read about Paul and his buddy Silas, who are essentially wandering around the known world at that time, first century Roman Empire, telling people the good news about who God is, what he has done for us sinners uh, in Jesus his death and his resurrection, that forgiveness is available. This is the good news. And they're telling everyone. They're on this grand adventure. And along the way, they, they find themselves in all sorts of spiritual fights. Acts 16. Shall we? Here we go. Let's read verses 16 through 24 to start with. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Let's pause there. On their way to the prayer meeting. So last week, um, I talked about the, the subtlety of how the enemy, Satan, will try to um, lie to God's people. I talked a lot about that. One of the points that I tried to emphasize is how oftentimes uh, this, this business of spiritual warfare, the way the enemy, the way spiritual forces of wickedness or whatever you want to call it will work in one's life, it's very, very subtle. So it's difficult sometimes to actually discern whether or not, like, hey, is this, uh, like, what is this? Again, is this just normal life stuff or is this the enemy? 
On their way to the prayer meeting, they meet a slave girl, some young girl who's being exploited by men for a profit. Not a whole lot's changed. But it was on their way to the prayer meeting. Have you ever, have you ever decided, for whatever reason, uh, often something will go wrong in life, you'll meet some challenge, and you'll think, you know what, I need to step up my prayer life. I, I, need, to, I need to step up my church game. I, I need to get right with God because I need help. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to start going to the prayer meeting. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to give. I might even join the worship team. And on your way there, on your way there, lo and behold, something happens. Have you, have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced the, the phenomenon of like, look, at I'm, I, I want to get, this is the year I'm going to get serious. I'm going to take my relationship with Jesus to the next level. I'm going to start coming to the 6 a.m. Tuesday morning prayer meeting. You know that we pray right here, like a whole bunch of us, every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Yeah, we've been doing that for a little while now. Something often, I, look, at, I don't know. I don't know what your, your life experience is like, but I, I will tell you from my own experience, there's something about deciding I am going to the prayer meeting. I'm gonna start that Bible reading plan that I heard about. I'm gonna start to give. I'm gonna give faithfully. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just do something. I'm gonna take a step for Jesus. I, I will, I guarantee you, you will meet resistance almost immediately, inevitably, for sure, guaranteed, I promise you now. There is a spiritual reality. On their way to the prayer meeting, they met the slave girl who had a spirit of divination. What's that all about? Apparently she was demon-possessed, would be my, my read. And her owners had figured out that they could actually make a bit of cash using this girl, using her gift. Maybe she was like a fortune teller or something. Maybe, who knows? Who knows what the deal was? But they had figured out a way to monetize this poor girl's spiritual bondage. Like I said, not a whole lot has changed. They meet this girl, and she begins to proclaim I guess to whoever was around, whoever was listening, these guys, they're, they're here to proclaim to the world the way of salvation. These are followers of Jesus. These are Christians. And they've come to our town to tell everyone who will listen that Jesus has made a way to be saved, to be forgiven, to go to heaven, to experience uh, rightness with God, which is like totally true. Now, one has to sort of read between the lines a bit, but, you know, it makes me wonder, was she saying it, like, sarcastically? Was she mocking them? Was, was, she, was she being serious? It's funny, when we read the Gospels, um, you know, who the very first one to recognize the true identity of Jesus, if you start reading through the Gospels, it was the demons. It was always the demons. Wherever Jesus went, 
someone would start like manifesting, some demon would like just pop up out of nowhere and start proclaiming to the public, it's the Messiah, it's the Christ, it's the Son of God. So maybe it was something like that. Demons are terrified of Jesus and anyone who is following him. They, start, they just blurt it out. You almost imagine like, you know, like when you're really, really nervous, you just start like blurting out whatever it is in your mind. Maybe it's something like that. But she does it enough to where eventually Paul goes from being presumably annoyed to greatly annoyed. And he turns to, not the girl, it says explicitly that he spoke to this spirit, this demon, and he commands it to leave, to get out in the name of Jesus. And it does. Here's a question for you. When was the last time you found yourself becoming greatly annoyed by something evil? When was the last time you just got greatly annoyed, period? How about that? Okay, here's a challenging question. Here's a challenging question. Um, because I get annoyed all the time for all sorts of reasons. Um, mostly, like, not great reasons. I get annoyed with my kids. I get annoyed with the other drivers on the road. I get annoyed with slow internet. I get annoyed with whatever. You name it. I, it doesn't take a lot to annoy us, does it? But when was the last time you got annoyed by something evil? Something of Satan. When was the last time you became greatly annoyed? Annoyed to action by powerful people exploiting someone for money. I, I know this is a bit of a side point, but it's, this, is, this is good. This is really good. Because I think all too often we get annoyed for all the wrong reasons. Sometimes even greatly annoyed. But when was the last time you became so annoyed by how the enemy was exploiting some innocent person that it actually compelled you to open your mouth and begin to pray aggressively? Not at some person, but at this uh, this this force of evil, this spirit of divination in this case. I, um, I get really annoyed with uh, the, the stuff that pops up all the time on the internet. I mean, I'm trying to like buy a theology book of Amazon and I've got my little pop-up ads showing up here with like, you know, whatever, some attractive woman in, in a, ba a bathing suit or something. I'm like, come on, I'm trying to buy a book about Jesus. I don't like... <laughs> I don't need that. And it's not, it's not the woman. She's not the problem. But there's something else at work. But the thing that annoys me about it, the thing that greatly annoys me about it is that um, the enemy tries to tempt me to look at pornography. I'm just going to say it plainly. 
which is why I'm part of a purity group for men because it's something a long time ago I realized like I'm not going to just I'm not going to like wait until something happens and my stress levels are so high that I relapse and go back to an addiction that I had before I was saved and ruin my life and my marriage and my church and everything else. So I take a very aggressive stance towards this kind of stuff because I know what it can do to people's lives and I know what it does to a person's life who is living in that world. I've read enough about it to know that young women and men are being exploited for monetary gain and it greatly annoys me. It's an understatement. It makes me full of rage and I think it's from God. I think my father gets extremely anger, wrathful, when he sees the way young people are being exploited sexually for monetary gain. Full of wrath. Because when God's love is violated, that's how he feels about his kids, about his creation, our bodies. But when was the last time you were so annoyed by evil in the world that it actually compelled you to open your mouth? I think that's a, that's a good challenge for us. On their way to the prayer meeting, they meet a girl who's being oppressed by some demon. Powerful men are exploiting her for financial gain. And Paul gets so annoyed, he finally confronts this thing and he commands it, get out. And it does. Now, if the story just ended there, you'd be like, yes, awesome, spiritual warfare. One, four, Jesus. And they went on their way and they made it to the prayer meeting. They brought the girl with them. But that's not what happened. Because in fact, the whole situation just escalates from that point on. The men, of course, immediately realize, like, you've just screwed up our little business project here. So now we have a problem. Now you're not only messing with the freedom of a single individual, but you're confronting a whole system of exploitation here. There is money to be made in this industry. Now you're messing with something much bigger than just one young girl. Okay, this is something that's gonna affect the, the very fabric of our society here. Like an industry can collapse here. Could you imagine, not to like carry on about it, but could you imagine if the multi-trillion dollar porn industry in the world collapsed could you imagine what would happen to the economy? We would have a major problem on our hands. We would have a major economical crisis on our hands if the commercial sex industry in this country collapsed overnight because the demand just dried up like that. People would be mad. <laughs> Honestly, we, we would have a major economic crisis on our hands. Praise God. So that's what happened to some degree. The men were enraged. So they, they took them by force, dragged them into the marketplace where business was done. They got a hold of the magistrates, the officials, and they said, look at these guys. They don't even belong here. They, they, Jews or something, they've, they've come from who knows where, and they're preaching who knows what. And they've, they're, 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 this is not right. We're Romans. We're enlightened. This is, this is, this is the... What we're doing here is the way society is supposed to work, and these guys are causing a problem. So they get thrown in jail. 
They get put in the inner prison and the jailer locks their feet in the stocks. That's some like proper bondage. Now, we can't miss the irony. They confront this spirit. The effect is this young girl gets set free. What happens to them? They get literally locked up in a Roman dungeon. That's an interesting twist of events. This is where the real battle begins. This is where the real fight kicks off. What do you do, what have you done when you do take a stand? Let's say you do decide to go to the prayer meeting. Let's say you decide to take um, a, a significant step in terms of trusting God. So you're going to decide to, to obey him in some uh, really, for you anyways, like a really big way. It's really requiring you to trust him in a significant way, a sacrificial way. You feel the pushback. You get greatly annoyed. You command it to leave you alone in the name of whatever it is, whatever demon, whatever spirit, whatever thing is trying to resist you. You command it to leave and it leaves. And then you end up in prison. Something even worse happens. Sure, one little girl gets set free, but now you and your buddy are locked up in a dungeon, feet in stocks. What do you do then? Do you think, perhaps you think to yourself, I've certainly thought to myself, you know, life used to be a bit simpler. When, when did everything start becoming a battle anyways? Why do we always talk about this? I can remember a time when like, it was just, it was normal to just do what people do. And so what if I watch a little porn? And so what if I lie a little bit? And so what if I sleep around a little bit? And so what? I mean, this is just a society and now I'm following Jesus and it's like really hard and I feel like I, I, I thought I was supposed to be living this life of freedom and now I feel like I'm locked up in some dark place with my feet stuck in stocks. Like when did it all get so complicated? Have you ever, are you feeling me? And perhaps you think to yourself, maybe I just need to like chill out on the Jesus stuff a little bit. Maybe I need to like just take this whole prayer stuff down a notch or two. Maybe without saying it out loud, um, the enemy and I can just like come to a bit of an understanding, a little truce perhaps. I'll stop going to the prayer meeting and you stop beating me and trying to put me in jail. I'm not gonna like worship Satan, but maybe, you know, maybe we'll just, maybe we can bargain a little bit. You could do that. You, you could totally do that. That would be a legitimate response. But that's not what they do, and that's why I love this the story. So it's all escalating. It's, it's, it's almost like this, this uh, epic back and forth. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And just as soon as the enemy's probably thinking to himself, ha, checkmate in the stocks. What you got now? This is what they've got. Let's read on. 
verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We got to just pause there real quick. Okay. Let's be honest. I reckon none of us in this room will probably ever find ourselves locked up in the middle of a Roman dungeon with our feet strapped in stocks. Probably, well, for sure it's not going to happen because that's, that was a long time ago. But probably for sure as well, none of us is going to be like put in prison for our faith unless you, you got, you're going to have to go someplace else. There they are. And at midnight, middle of the night, Okay, there was no lights. In fact, we'll read in a minute that when it goes down, the jailer rushes in, commands that the lights be brought in. So they're sitting in the pitch black dungeon, the inner part of the prison. I imagine Paul and Silas, they can't see each other. They're probably sitting there. Hey, Paul, you still alive? think so. How you doing? Not good. How you feel? I think a rat's trying to gnaw off my big toe. What are we going to do? I don't know. You want to pray? Not really. <laughs> it's kind of what got us here. No, nah, but seriously, we should pray. Yeah, we should do that. Let's worship. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the, you guys can join in anytime. <laughs> Little ones to him belong they are weak but he is strong yes Jesus loves me yes and they sing and I imagine I put myself there they get louder they get louder they get more passionate I may be weak but he is strong he is the king who conquered death. He is the one who shines light in darkness. He can break chains. He can open prison doors. Open prison doors. And they began to worship their God. You know, you know how you know who your God really is? There's a few ways. But for sure, one of the most like, definite ways you can, you can honestly um, figure out who your God really is, who do you worship in the midnight hour? That's how you find out. That's the test. When your life is like falling apart, proverbially, proverbially, when you're in the proverbial dungeon of life and it's all gone terribly wrong just because you decided to go to the prayer meeting 
at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. And there you are, locked up, pitch black, thinking this could be the end. Who do you begin to worship in that moment? Who do you begin to worship? Who do you turn to? To whom do you begin to channel your affections towards? Who or what do you put your hope in? Now you gotta be really, really honest, and it's hard, because again, most of us are never gonna find ourselves locked in the middle of a Roman dungeon at midnight. But when life is really sort of like squeezing in, caving in around you, and it's dark, oh, it's dark, it's cold, you can't even sleep because you're locked in this position, to whom or what do you turn to? Who do you go to for comfort? What do you go to for escape? What do you think about? To who, who or what do you meditate upon? Whose promises do you hold on to? That's how you know who your God is, among a few other things. They began to pray and sing. They began to worship. They began to remember, to remind themselves we serve a God who conquers death. Our Father is the master of redemption. He's the one who said, let light shine in the darkness, and it shone in the darkness. He's the same God who spoke a word, and the universe as we know it came into existence. He's the same God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. His power is so awesome, it's terrifying. His love is so vast, it's unfathomable. He is the God who's constantly tipping the scales towards mercy. He is the God who is always faithful. He is good, he is trustworthy. He is Jesus. He's our king. He's the one who promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And where two or more gather in my name, where am I? I'm right there with you. You're not alone. And they began to sing. They began to worship. They began to aim their hope towards their God. And in verse 26, it says, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because that's what a guard would do, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are here, all of us. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a question. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. You might recall in uh, Revelation, been working our way through Revelation, quite a few earthquakes at very key moments. Typically, 
when angels were worshiping in heaven. When something was about to, to shift, to happen, when, when a great battle was about to take place in the heavenly realms or when the, the temple was about to be opened and God take his place in the throne room, the, an earthquake would shake. And this is exactly what happened when Paul and Silas began to sing the praises of their king, of their God, God himself begins to inhabit the praises of his people and the very foundations of that prison begin to shake and the doors fly open. Okay, make no mistake about it. Something super, this is not coincidental and I don't think we're supposed to read it that way. Something supernatural is happening. Something supernatural happens when we worship Jesus. You know when we sing here at the beginning? Like I get it, they're not like magical songs. Okay, it's not, it's not like that. But when we gather here to actually meet with God, when we worship him, he does things that are so beyond just songs. The nature of what's the nature of spirituality, really? When we worship, things change. God moves. People are set free. Our hearts are transformed. We become like the one we worship. For better or for worse, we become like the one we worship. Who do you worship? I'm going through some stuff in life right now. Um, I am going through some stuff in life right now. Um, I've, I've said this a couple times, I think, here on a Sunday. Uh, but my stress levels, they're just like dangerously high all the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite aware of it. I'm not trying to be in denial about it. I'm not, I'm not trying to just ignore it. Um, but I just feel like anxious, like this constant low level of anxiety. Um, and there's all sorts of things going on in life, just challenges and stuff. And I just feel anxious. I became aware that even in my anxiety, I was actually trying to overcompensate by being more spiritual. Have you ever done that? Have you ever caught yourself? Like, okay, the answer is Jesus. So what I gotta do is this and that. I gotta read my Bible more and I gotta, and, and next thing you know, it's like you're becoming anxious about like just being with Jesus. And then I heard Jesus begin to speak to me very clearly, very calmly. And he said, Simon, just come close and listen. Just, just stop, breathe, come close. Sit before me. Listen. Just listen. Receive from me. Your heart is full of worry, anxiety. You're beginning to worship all sorts of unhelpful things. You know, when we um, are feeling anxious, or when we're feeling full of fear, it's symptomatic of, of, a, of a worship that's gone sideways. You, kinda, you, can, you, can, you can ascertain who you're worshiping 
to oftentimes by how you feel. It's, it's the fruit of your worship. If you find yourself constantly full of fear and anxiety, rage, anger, impatience, um, envy, all of these things, then there's a pretty, it's a good sign that like, okay, who or what am I worshiping? If I'm constantly thinking about what I need to be doing better or quicker or more of, then actually all of my affections are being channeled towards something other than Jesus. And I can actually do that with my own like spiritual disciplines. I can become so obsessed with doing all the right things in the name of Jesus that I can become anxious in my Christianity. Classic examples, the Mary and Martha situation. In the Gospels, it says there was two sisters and one of them was like, look, we've got to serve, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. Jesus is coming, let's get it all right. And she's running around just full of anxiety. And Mary, she comes and simply sits at the feet of Jesus. Now, the cool thing about Martha, the busy, anxious one, wasn't that like Jesus told her off. Oh, what's your problem? Because she was actually trying to do the right thing. But Jesus did point out quite gently, I would say, that her affections had become misaligned. In her attempt to get everything ready for Jesus, she was forgetting to just enjoy Jesus in the moment. And we can become so anxious about anything that we put our hands to. Thank God, Jesus is so patient. He will graciously come to us and say, just, hey, stop, stop, just stop. Come, be with me. Receive from me. Your heart's full of anxiety. How about you let me pour my love into your heart? How about you allow me to fill your mind with my peace? Come. Channel your affections, your thoughts towards me. I'm stable. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to shift. I'm not going to try to use you. I won't exploit you. I love you. Be with me. This is, this is the word, how our Father speaks to us. This is the heart of our God. And they were listening. Their fellow prisoners were listening. You know what our world needs, if I might be so bold? Our world, here's what our world doesn't need, is a bunch of religious people who know how to act in such a way that everyone around them might stand back and think, man, they are so perfect. I should also give my life to Jesus. <laughs> you know no one buys it. No one buys it. And they're so morally perfect. They've got their life so together. I should give my life to Jesus too. No one buys it. No one, number one, because no one has it for sale. Okay, no one's got that. You can, you can fake it, you can pretend, and just good luck. Good luck with that. We'll be here full of grace, ready to catch you when it comes down. 
I would say the world needs to see broken people who how to know how to worship in the dark. I can look at the person who lives across the street from me, and we can nod each other. His name's Tom. He's great. And we can have, you know, pleasant conversations, and I can nod at him, and he can see me yell at my kids, and I can see him just do whatever he does to sin, and, 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 and we both know we're, we're human. There, there's no hiding it. There's, no, there's no, no pretense. The only difference between us, my God's way, way better. I'm just going to say it. My God's better. My God's more gracious. My God's more faithful. My God's more forgiving. My God's stronger. Jesus is a better God. He's a better source. And they were listening as they worshiped their king. And everyone got set free. Everyone got to go home that day. And the jailer, their quote-unquote enemy, he became their healer. Now, this is the real work of the gospel. Not, ha, 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 we win. Good luck, buddy, answering your boss. The jailer wanted to kill himself because he knew that if the prisoners were set free and he was the one on watch, he would be executed. So he's like, I'm gonna, I'll, just, I'll just take my own life. Better than being crucified. And Paul says, no, don't do it. We're all here. Because we're not just simply trying to get out of jail. We're on a mission. And at some point in that midnight hour, they must have realized, hang on. God had a plan. Hang on. We're here for a reason. Hang on. Jesus is with us. And as we worship him, God's very presence begins to manifest. Jails fly open. And the jailer, the guy who was being paid to keep them locked up and probably torture them, is now the same guy who's mending their wounds, who's washing them, and he's being their healer. This is when the kingdom begins to break out. Not when the Christians win, when the bad guys come home. Because guess what? We were all enemies of God at one time. And while we were still in our sins, Jesus Christ died for us. The gospel isn't when the Christians win. It's when the world comes home. It's when fellow prisoners get a chance to come into the light and repent just like we did. And we become brothers and sisters. They join the family. The kingdom breaks out. That's what happens when we worship in the darkness. Shall we worship together now? Can we stand together? Let me add one more little thought. I will try to be as succinct as possible. This is kind of important. So they were, all of this took place in Philippi, ancient city. Later on, uh, they get out of prison. Paul, Silas, they end up traveling all over the place. He gets thrown back in jail uh, a few times. And uh, 
he ends up writing a letter, which in our Bible is called Philippians. It's presumably to the jailer and his family and whoever else ended up becoming a Christian because of this, this moment that we just read about. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from another prison, probably in Rome. Back in jail. And you know what he says? Dear Philippian brothers and sisters, I added that part. I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of, this, help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is important. You might say, well, it's wonderful when the story ends with a nice, and they lived happily ever after. The jailer gets saved, and they get to go home, and it's just, isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful, but it doesn't always work out like that. Sometimes you don't get out of jail. Sometimes you die. I don't want any of us to leave here thinking that you just, just sing songs to Jesus and it's all going to just end happy. It will, but perhaps not in this life. See, Paul, he... He knew his king. He knew Jesus so well that he could say, no matter what happens, whether I live, whether I die, I know he's not going to let me down. I know he's not going to let me be put to shame. I know he's not going to bail on me. I know your prayers are going to do something. I know the Spirit is with me, helping me. And my hope is that I will go home and live another day to preach the gospel. But whether I live or die, I will rejoice. I die, I go home. Straight to heaven. Eternity with my Savior. I live, well, there's more work to be done. Either way, I will rejoice. That's our king. Let's worship. You're now listening to Grace City Portland.